for the first four weeks, we've been talking about, um, really, really, it's, it's all been um, words that start with D. And not like I've tried to do this cute alliteration, you know, where it's like everything starts with the same letter. But we first talk, talked about the destructiveness, okay? So there's the, the, the word D, starts with a D, destructiveness of false teachers. Then we talked about the doom of false teachers. And then last week, we talked about the depravity, or better yet, we called it just the wickedness of false teachers. And the next thing that we're going to look at, the fourth thing, even though this is our fifth week, is we're going to look at the deception of false teachers. So that's, that's the section that we're going to be in today in 2 Peter chapter 2 in verse, I should be in 2 Peter, I'm in 1 Peter, in chapter 2 verses 18 through 22. And in verse 17 where we ended last week, it talked about and it summarized really the, the depravity of these false teachers yet also the deception of them, okay? Because Peter referred to these false teachers as wells without water, right? And what good is a well without water? Nothing. Like, that's what a well should do. It should have water. And we're going to get into some more illustrations about that as well as we end this chapter. Uh, He talked about wells without water and also clouds that are carried by a tempest, you know? So it looks like it's going to rain, but it doesn't rain. And so... These false teachers are very deceptive, not only in what they say, but even in how they live. Um, The deceptions of false teachers is revealed more here in this last part of chapter 2. So let's go ahead and read verses 18 through 22 and then break it down. Peter says in verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Okay, they again is referring to false teachers. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But as happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Interesting stuff that we're going to cover today. But again, it's all about deception, right? And this is really how false teachers are able to thrive is through deception. And it's really one of the the main ways that Satan, it's one of his tactics that Satan uses himself is deception, right? We've talked about this in times past when we were in Ephesians, even in 1 Peter and James, how Satan is very, very deceptive. And And when we see at the very beginning, when we see him in Genesis, that he was deceptive, right? He was deceptive in, in the things that he said about God and the things that would happen. And, um, and that's just how he works because he has limited power. Okay, Satan is not the equal, the opposite equal of God. We all understand this, correct? Like it's not like you'd see in the movies or Hollywood where they're battling, you know. It. For instance, when I first saw this first Superman movie, um, I forget what. It was just a Superman movie, the one with uh, Henry, what's his name? And, uh, and he kept losing. Like, in his fights and battles, he kept losing to the main villain. And I'm like, dude, this is Superman. Like, how is he not, 
you know, when you, and, then, and then when you watch the Avengers stuff, it's like you've got uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye. Is it Hawkeye? The air, bone arrow guy? They're human beings, correct? Am I right? Okay, yeah, they're human beings, and they're fighting these other gods. You know, like, like they have, like, super powers and everything. And they're, like, matching them, right? Like, they're, you know, they haven't died yet. Spoiler. Um, I think, I don't know. But anyways, the, the point is, like, you know, you got human beings fighting these people with superpowers, and they're, they're, they're equal in a sense of, like, you know. And with God and Satan, it's not that way. They're, they're not equals at all. Um, you know, the Jehovah's Witness believe that, that Satan and Jesus um, are brothers, uh, which is not, not biblically correct at all. Um, but yeah, so they're, so they're not equal. And, and Satan is not the, the opposite of, of God's equal either, you know. Um, God is all-powerful. He is a, a non-created being, and while Satan is. Satan was a created being from God. You know, he was created as Lucifer. And he's also limited in his power. We see that in Job when, when the devil has to go to God to ask for permission and things that he can do towards people, specifically Job, right? Like, you know, it's, it's not that there's this ongoing battle between God and the devil. God's already defeated Satan. And it's only through uh, God allowing certain things to happen uh, that, that it comes about. He's given Satan you know, a little bit of power, but it, again, it's all very limited. And um, what, so since he doesn't have that power, he just uses deception. And we know that if for everyone that is not saved, First John tells us that they're all under the, the sway of the wicked one, right? There is this uh, deception that, that we see all throughout the world for those who do not know and see the truth. And the truth of God. And so again, there's a bunch of deception in this world. False teachers will use deception. Uh, again, Satan himself, we talked about it one time, where, if, where he comes in three different forms. Do you guys remember those forms? The first one was as a cunning serpent, right? The second one was uh, an angel of light. Wait, no, yeah. And the third one was what? Because I'm asking because I forget. A roaring lion, yes, there we go. Those, those three forms, you know, very, very deceptive. You know, when we, when we, again, Hollywood paints it out that Satan is this red thing with a pitchfork, that it's going to be very obvious, okay, that's Satan. No, Satan is very deceptive in, in his appearance and the things that he does. Just like false teachers, they're, they're sheep and wolves, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They, they appear and look like something, but on the inside, they're not. Very deceptive. So Peter says in verse 18 that these false teachers, and in their deception, they will speak great swelling words of emptiness. Okay, now, this could pertain to podcasts, <laughs> right? Where it's like they talk for an hour and they say nothing, but specifically this is for those that teach the word of God. They can say a lot of things, but it really means nothing. And one of the main things when it comes to teaching the Word of God is not knowledge, but it's the Holy Spirit, right? There are many of those who know and understand the Word of God, which is important. That's not something that we need to neglect. But more important than the knowledge of the Word of God is to have the Holy Spirit, which leads you into the understanding of the Word of God. It's not just a logical thing. 
not a, just a thoughtful thing. It is a thing because we have the Holy Spirit that leads us and teaches us and guides us in, in the way of truth. And so when they're saying and they're speaking, they say a lot of stuff, but it really amounts to nothing. You know, it's, it's and, and also they can say a lot of stuff, but there's no power behind it. And it's not because, you know, they're not yelling and they're not motivated and they're not emotional about it. But if the Holy Spirit is not in it, then there is no power in it, regardless of what they say and how they say it. But a lot of false teachers, again, they will speak and say a lot of things and it's a lot of fluff. But when you get down to it, you leave and you're like, what, what, did, what, what is he trying to say? What did I just, what did I just learn? So they speak great swelling words of emptiness. And I'd love to give you some illustrations, um, but obviously I don't have time for that. So they speak great swelling words of emptiness. It, to speak literally means to call out loudly. The focus here is on the verbal sound rather than what are the content of what is said. But we've already seen that the content is important too. Emptiness is something that is futile, purposeless, or worthless. And the words of these false teachers were high-sounding but empty. They lacked true content that came from God. So their teachings were deceptive, they were pointless, they were worthless. And what they do is not only speak these great swelling words of emptiness, but they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Right Now, they will tell you what you want to hear. Right? They will tell you what allures to our flesh. Now, what's the main thing that allures to our flesh? is our own selves, right? So when you are constantly uh, reaffirming me, reaffirming what I want to hear, and it's all about me, those are the things that we like, right? I don't, I don't want to hear things that pertain to truth because truth is what uh, goes against my flesh. Truth is what's going to convict me. Truth is what's going to give me that guilty conscience. Truth is what is going to uh, tell me that I probably shouldn't be living the way that I'm living, Right, that, that I need to confess, that I need to repent, that I, I, need to, I need to do these things, and we don't like to hear that. And so they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. They offer promises that really have their appeal to what the flesh will gain. And I, I like this is interesting in, in how this is phrased um, to the lust of the flesh. And we see this example in the New Testament with Jesus when he provides food for people. He provides bread for the crowd. And he realizes that the crowd doesn't really want to be around him because of him. They want to be around him because of the food he was providing, the bread. They wanted the bread from Jesus, but they actually didn't want Jesus himself. And we see this in John chapter 6. You guys can read it in your own time. And so for a lot of us, when we hear something, we want it to allure to our flesh. We, we want the good things, but we want the good things without the one who gives good things. Right? Like we want the blessings without the one who actually provides the blessings. We want the promises without the one who actually provides the promises. And so as we're reading this, I was thinking, well, you know, is God enough for me, or do I have to have God in the things that I want as well, the things that I can get from God? You know, trying to use God as a genie type thing, right? Or is God just good enough? Because ultimately, that is who we worship, right? We worship 
God and not the things that God gives us. And the prime example that I could think of was in Exodus chapter 33. If you guys remember as we studied through that, that Israel failed time and time again, but one of their monumental failures was with the golden calf. You guys remember this story, correct? They built this golden calf, they worshipped it, and, and God found out, God knew, obviously he knew it was going to come, and at that point he told Moses on the side of the mountain that, listen Moses, I'm going to just wipe them out, okay, we're talking about millions of people, he said, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over, because, you know, they're sinners, they're bad, I've, I've shown grace, I've shown love, I've shown everything, I've even provided them things, I've freed them from Egypt, and You've been gone for less than 40 days, and they decided to make a golden calf and worship it and, and do all these horrible, immoral acts uh, around the golden calf. And so God says, I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. Now, if you were in Moses' position, I believe most of us would be like, all right, cool. Like, I didn't like them anyways. And, and as long as you're not, you know, wiping me out, sweet. And Moses had his problems with these people, okay? It wasn't just like, you know, they were buddy-buddy. These people complained about Moses time and time again, right? So imagine, you know, just somebody always complaining about everything you do and decide. You'd be like, yeah, I'd love to get rid of them, right? But that wasn't Moses' heart as a shepherd, and it was really a challenge from God to Moses to see what his response was. Moses says, look, you know, don't, don't do that. You know, he gives some reasonings behind it. But then God says this to Moses. He says, okay. I won't do that, but this is what I will do. I will allow you to go to the promised land, because this was their destination, right? To, to be freed from Egypt and to go to the land of Canaan that God had prepared for them. He says, I will let you go to the promised land, but I'm not coming with you anymore. What would you say to that? You deserve death. You deserve to be wiped out because of the, your acts and the, your decisions in your rejection of God, even though you've blatantly seen his power and his glory, you would be like, God, I will take any goodness from you, right? Like, I'd be like, okay, like, you're still letting us go into the promised land? That's sweet, right? But that wasn't Moses' response. Moses' response was, I don't want the promised land if you're not going to be in it, right? I don't want the promised land if you're not going with us. And far too often, we want things from God, but we don't want just God, right? We, we want the promises, like the promise of the, the land, but we're okay with God not being a part of it. And that's where we fail and mess up, and that's where the allure, the allure of the lust of our flesh comes in. You know, God was, he was going to immensely bless Egypt, but he wasn't, or not Egypt, but Israel, but he wasn't going to go with them. He was going to send his angel instead. And again, Moses was like, no, I'm not, not going to do that. In Exodus 33:15, it says, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And even though God would take them to the promised land and Israel would receive an abundance of his blessings, Moses did not want any of it if God was not with them. The promised land was nothing special without the presence of God. And again, I believe that we as people can be the exact opposite. We want everything God has to offer without actually wanting him. Moses did not want God's promise without his presence. And God told Israel he would not remain with them in a close and personal way. 
And if Moses and Israel were content with that, and if we are content with that, it only proves that we love God's promises and blessings and not God himself. And so the challenge for us is that we should not be content with just the blessings without the one who provides the blessings. We're not to be content with the promises without the one who provides the promises. And we shouldn't be content with the gifts without the one who provides the gifts. It, it reminds me of this. My son loves Legos. And part of my love language is giving gifts. And so I love, I love to give him gifts. And so there was a time where pretty much every other day, every week, I would bring him Legos. I would come home, and I would bring him, like, a little minifigure Lego. And he'd be so excited, right? And, and, he, and, and, and he would, you know, be thankful for it. But after a time, after doing that, he used to be excited. Okay, before I brought him the Legos, he used to be excited that I would just come home, right? Like, wow, dad's home. <laughs> then I would bring him Legos. He's like, wow, dad's home, and I get Legos, <laughs> Right? Then after a while, it was, you know, transitioning to like, okay, I just really want Legos. And, and then when I wouldn't bring Legos, it was like, okay, well, dad's home, but there's no Legos, right? And so he got used to this, this idea that, you know, he just, he really wanted the Legos. I mean, who, who wanted? We're the same way. I'm just using the example of a five-year-old. And so I realized that he no longer cared that I was home. It was all about whether he would get the Legos are not, and, uh, and so I stopped give, bringing him Legos, so <laughs> now he's excited when I come home, but I, I, it's such a good illustration of sometimes how I, I use God for those things, you know, and that whether, whether he gives me good gifts or doesn't, it doesn't matter because it's really all about God, like God is, is and should be enough. If you guys watched that new video I released for Truth For Youth, the very first one was about Psalm 23, verse 1, which is, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is coming from David. He literally says, The Lord is my shepherd, and he, and he adds to that, I shall not want, which means I lack nothing. David knew that all I need is God. All I need is my shepherd. I, I don't need anything else. You know, and this is the example that we get with, with Paul when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the context of that is that he realizes that all he needs is God. Whether he, whether he has God in nothing or he has God in everything, he just needs God. And so that's when, when we're focusing and we're teaching the Bible correctly and we're talking about sound doctrine, we are always going to point to God. We're always going to point to Jesus Christ. We're always going to point to the gospel and it's always about him, and it's never about us, okay? We don't allure to the lusts of the flesh, okay? Because that is what leads to destruction, okay? We, we call out hypocrisy when we see it. We call out sin when we see it, because that's, what's that's what truth is, and that's what love is as well. And so rather than alluring to the lusts of the flesh, we reveal truth by pointing to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. So again, Peter says in verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. He's speaking of these, these new believers, these, these baby believers who have, have wandered and who are being led astray, and these false teachers attract them. They, they pounce on them. 
we've talked about this for the past four weeks as well, how, how deceptive they are and how they're pretty much bullies. And they take advantage of the unstable, as Peter tells us in the previous verses, the unstable, the weak, the hurting, the broken, and they will, they will use them and abuse them. These false teachers tell them lies and they tell these Christians that they don't need to, uh, they don't need to change from their ways. They don't need to change their behavior. That it's okay if you're doing this. You know, it's it's almost overusing God's grace, right, to allure to the lusts of the flesh. That hey, man, it's it's totally okay if you watch those types of movies. Hey, it's okay, it's okay if you, you know, say those types of words or if you do this. It's justifying to allure to the lusts of the flesh while still thinking that we are having an intimate relationship with Jesus and that we're in good standing with him, right? That, that sin is no problem. Like, doesn't it show you all throughout Scripture that God is gracious? God is loving? If he's loving, he, he's going to be okay with it. Well, that's not true biblical doctrine or theology. So there's a lot of teaching today that talks about relativism. We've talked about this. Again, truth is what you, what you make it, what you perceive it, that whatever you know, immoral or perverse lifestyle that you have, the things that you are doing, they're acceptable because you know, that's the way that you are, that's the way that you feel, that God's going to accept you no matter what. Yes, he will, but you, you also have to, he gives you a new heart, right? And we're going to talk about this later. He gives you a new heart. He puts a new spirit in you so that, yes, he takes you as you are, but he also changes you, which means that the things that you once were and the things that you once did are no longer, right? There's no more, no more justification of our sin anymore and no more ignorance to anymore because now it's been exposed, it's been revealed, we have been cleaned, and now we are kept to a higher standard because now we are the children of God, right? He is our Father, we have a higher standard now. So verse 19, Peter says, while they promise them, speaking again of these false teachers, while the false teachers promise them, uh, them speaking of these uh, people who are are fallen and allured into the lust of the flesh of what they're saying, while they promise them liberty or freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So here we see another part of their deception is that they promise, like the wells without water, they promise one thing, but they can't deliver it, right? They, they can't live up to their promise. They make empty promises. And one of these promises is that they promise freedom. Now, where does freedom come from? I guess that's kind of a hard question to answer because it wasn't very specific. But freedom ultimate freedom and type of freedom that we're talking about here in scripture is freedom from sin because he talks about next that they're slaves of corruption right slaves of sin so we're talking about freedom from that a a freedom from from sin a freedom from corruption it only comes from jesus that is the only deliverance is through jesus it's not through any acts of trying to stop things or you know, going to counseling or not that any of these things are bad, but I'm telling you, true, true freedom only comes through Jesus Christ 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. It is only, and it is all through Jesus Christ, who makes us free, who gives us his freedom. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So false teachers promise freedom, but they cannot produce freedom because they're not teaching the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. right? So they're promising you freedom again, but they're not teaching where, where you can truly receive freedom. Jesus says it plainly in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, speaking of Jesus, you shall be free indeed. False teachers will promise freedom from sin in the sense that you don't have to be guilty of sin, right? Isn't that like what we all want? Like, I just don't want the guilty feeling or the consequences of sin. And that's where they appeal to the lust of the flesh that I can, I can basically just, you know, get what I want without actually having, having to do the dirty work, right? Have, going through the hard stuff. You know, we want to skip what actually sets us free but we just want to be set free. And so the only way to do that is through confession and repentance to Jesus. And it hurts. It hurts. You, 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 there, there is a brokenness that comes through confession and repentance and a realization that you have sinned against a holy God. Right? Then comes the good stuff. Right? Then comes the, the, you know, Jesus takes away your guilt. He takes away your shame. You know, because he creates a new heart in you. Jesus promises freedom from sin and guilt. And it's through us confessing, repenting, and believing in his work on the cross. But these false teachers, they promise this liberty while they themselves are not even liberated. Right? They, they promise that there is this freedom, you know, that, that can be found, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, Peter tells us that what they're preaching is one thing, but what they're living is another thing. No one can promise liberty or freedom without dealing with the root of slavery. And what is that? What's the root of our slavery? Sin, right? And, and <laughs> there's many false teachers who will not want to talk about sin because who wants to come to church every Sunday and hear that, hey, your sin is bad, <laughs> right? I want you to build me up, right? Well, I, I, let's talk about your sin first, and after we deal with the sin, then yes, we will grow in God. We'll grow in the grace and knowledge of God. But first, we have to deal with sin. And the thing is, guys, when we come here week after week, we sin every week. So we've got to deal with it every week, right? Salvation comes once. We are cleansed once, but we continually have to confess and repent to our Lord and Savior if you want to keep an intimate relationship with him. And so we have to deal with sin, and sin is at the root of our slavery. You know, that's why, you know, when I think of, um, you know, 
I feel like politics have been a huge thing this past year, year and a half. Um, it's it's been more so than I've ever seen any point of my life, and I'm not that old, but um, it's just been in your face. You know, there's all these different. You know, uh, I'm I'm really not that smart, so I'm not going to try to sound like I am. But I've seen all these different policies of, you know, we're trying to help with poverty. We're trying to help with, you know, uh, less, less murder happening. You know, we're, we're trying to stop all these bad things from happening by creating all these new policies and dishing out all this money and creating all these organizations and creating all these uh, institutions and classes and, you know, none of which are bad, right? I'm not saying those are bad but it's dealing with the symptom of our problem rather than the root of our problem when it comes to America or just us as human beings, right? Well, uh, there's a lot of people that are, are, you know, I don't wanna get into politics, so I'm gonna try to say this. <laughs> Let's say like um, Black Lives Matter, the whole movement, right? I talked about this when it first was really relevant and over the summer. Um, you know, everyone wants change, which is good. It's okay. Like, obviously there needs to be change. There needs to be, there's evil in our world, right? And I'm not going to try to define who it is, what it is, where it comes from, specific situations. But one thing I learned over the summer, not one thing I learned, but I guess just that just came cle more clear is that it doesn't matter how many organizations we have, how many police officers we train, or you know what what school systems we have for kids, or you know classes that we make available for people to better themselves and, and not be you know evil or racist or whatever, right? How much good do you think that's going to do? Are people going to still be bad, evil? I think we all understand this, yes? So the only thing that will change a man, okay? The only thing that will change a racist, okay? Let's, let's just go there. If there is an actual racist person, a law is not going to change a person from not being racist anymore, right? A law is not going to change a person from being a murderer anymore, or wanting to murder, or a pedophile, or anything, right? Nothing will change these people. Not, not more information, not more love, not more. It is literally the truth, and it is the gospel. It is Jesus Christ that can only change a man. He's, he's the only thing, and that's why we were so adamant about when, we, when they shut everything down, that churches were considered essential. There's nothing more essential than the gospel, and it's the church is one of the ways that we present and, and give the gospel and teach the truth. And so that's why we're so adamant about not shutting down and opening back up, because it's vital. It's the only thing that's going to change all the problems in our world. It's the only thing that's going to change any of your own problems, right? If you struggle with anything, it's not going to a psychiatrist. It's not going to some type of counseling or a 12-step program, and, and I'm not belittling those things. If you do those things, great, but not at the expense of the gospel and Jesus Christ. If anything, those things need to be coupled to following Jesus and submitting to Jesus. 
Do we have that? Do we understand that? That instead of treating the, the symptoms of our sin, we have to deal with the root of it, right? It, it's, it's just like when you're picking a weed and you just pick the top of it, but the root's still there, it's just going to keep growing back, right? For a moment, it looks good. The outward appearance is good, but you haven't changed anything on the inside, and only Jesus can change a man. And so that's why politics can't help us. They can't save us. That's why any, any organization, uh, any, even any church, right, they cannot save you. They cannot change you. It is only Jesus Christ. And we see that from Galatians chapter 1. We see uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And we see it all throughout Scripture. So these false teachers are going to promise you this freedom from sin, and they won't deal with the root of sin because they themselves probably don't want to deal with it either. And they're trying to justify their own sin. And so they are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And so what happens is these people are not only then caught into the bondage of sin, but they're also then caught into the bondage of these false teachers. And that's, that's a scary place to be. And Peter says in verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the, in the latter and is worse for them than the beginning. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world. Again, they referring to false teachers that we see in verse 19. The same false teachers that we see in verse 1 who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Peter's point here is that they, they in a sense, have received a full exposure of who Jesus is in his work, right? They have been presented the gospel. They know the gospel, but they've blatantly rejected Jesus. There's, there's one thing to be ignorant, right? There's a whole other thing to know the truth and reject it. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here, is that, that they, they had once escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Savior, and Jesus Christ, but then they, they are again entangled in them and overcome. And then Peter ends the verse by saying, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Right? It was better for them to, at first, in their ignorance, be where they are, were, but it's now worse when they have known the truth and then rejected the truth and now are still entangled in sin and corruption and what the world has to offer. It's an interesting way that, that Peter puts it. He goes on to say in verse 21, For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Man, that's an interesting verse, and I don't have enough time to even cover it. But again, he says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. How do, you, how do you read that? It sounds like it would have been better for them to not have even heard of Jesus at all, right? Than having known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. I don't think Peter is, is essentially saying that. Like, I think he wants everyone to know Jesus and to, and to hear and, and to see the, and understand the gospel. But again, there's one thing to not know and be ignorant, and there's a whole other thing to know and reject it. How much trouble would you get in if you went over there and touched that wall? How much trouble would you get in? No, a ton. 
because that's one of our rules in the youth room is that you don't touch that wall over there and that will kick you out of the room. You can't come back to church. Yeah, you're looking at me like, well, that's dumb. I didn't know about that. Well, yeah, I'd probably show a little bit of grace to you because you didn't know the rule. But let's say now you know the rule and you went and did it, right? There's a different standard now that you're held to because you've, you've know, you know the truth, right? You, you, you're held accountable, essentially, right? Just like you get more in trouble when you break the rules at your house than your friend does when they break the rules at your house, right? You're held more accountable. You, you know the difference between right and wrong. These false teachers, they were shown Jesus, they even, even, even outwardly, it looked like they were following Jesus. But then there was this apostasy, there was wandering, there was this falling away, and they had decided to reject and turn from the holy commandment that was delivered to them. And, and the scary thing is this, this verse, applicable, can apply to us, okay? It is applicable and can apply to us. I don't, I'm not considering you false teachers, but it is a, it is a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to realize that this could be us. That I have been, I come here week in and week out and I hear the gospel, I hear the difference between right and wrong, I hear the truth. And, and the scary thing is that we can slowly over time reject it. We're held accountable for it. We're no longer ignorant to it. And I would encourage you to continue faithfully following Jesus. And it's not an easy thing. It, it takes effort. It takes time. It's not something that just, you know, just comes by being alive. You have to put in this effort. And so verse 22, Peter ends it here. He says, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a so having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Have you guys, has your dog ever thrown up and you've seen it eat it? Awesome. So you, you understand this, this illustration. It's actually a proverb. Peter quotes from Proverbs 26, 11. And, and I love it. He gives us just this vivid illustration of what these false prophets are like. Is, and, and, and here's the idea, okay? Here's the picture that, that Peter's getting at. Is they say one thing, but they will always revert back to what they are, what they truly are. A dog, in its dog nature, will always revert back to eating its vomit right? There, 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 the only way to change a dog from doing that is to change its nature, okay? Meaning that, like, you would turn it into a cat. It'd have a cat nature, right? And cats don't do that. I don't know if they don't. I'm just giving you an illustration. So, for a false prophet not to revert back to what it is, because that's the type it is, it's a, it's a false prophet, it's a false teacher, it's somebody who's immoral and not living in God's standards, they're going to always revert back to that because that's what they are, right? So the only way to change from returning back to that is to change the nature. And again, the only way to do that and the only person that can do that is Jesus Christ. We just talked about that. We're not dealing with symptoms. We're dealing with the root, which is sin, and Jesus is the only one that can deal with that. He is the one that can change our nature. He changes us from those who love to appeal to the lust of our flesh, and we live in it, to then those who are given a new heart. We have created a new creation, and now we have the mind of Christ. So now that way our standard and our behavior is different. We don't revert back to our vomit anymore. And it's all through Jesus Christ and what he 
has done. And then he also gives us the illustration of a sow. A sow, a sow be, uh, speaking of a, a pig. Uh, you guys ever seen Babe? Yeah, cool. I don't have an illustration for that. So a sow, speaking of a pig, having washed one, sow, so I like sow. Yes. So a, a pig, okay? A pig is dirty, correct? Yes. You ever seen a clean pig? No, not like unless you've seen like in the movies. But if you've actually been to a farm, have you guys ever been to that pig farm on uh, 70? No, it's, um, I went there one time and it smells disgusting, right? And that's just the nature of the pig. So it's, you, you're washing this pig and you're making it clean and you're trying to beautify it and, you know, you, you put a little cute outfit on it. And what, what is it naturally going to revert to? What it always does is going to jump back into the mud, right? It's going to wallow in the mire. And so that's exactly the nature of the pig. It's the exact nature of a false teacher. So you can try to beautify it. You can try as a false teacher, they can try to have this outward appearance, but they're always going to revert back to what they are naturally on the inside, right? Just like a pig. It's, it's essentially taking a piece of poop and spray painting it gold and trying to pass it off as gold, right? It's, it's still poop on the inside. So in the correlation for us, guys, the correlation for us is I believe sometimes we can try so hard to change the outside, like we try to wash ourselves, just like the false teachers. They try to have this appearance, you know, like, um, like those in the time of Jesus. They would try to have this appearance on the outside that they were holy, that they were righteous, but on the inside, they were, they were dirty, right? They were dirty, and so sometimes I feel like we try to wash ourselves, and yet all that does is, for a moment, have the appearance that we're clean, but we really haven't dealt with the part that needs to be cleaned, which is the inside. And it is only Jesus who can truly cleanse us and cleans us, clean us from the inside out. So you can wash yourself on the outside, but the inside is still dirty. You don't have to clean yourself to come to Jesus because he's the one that does the cleaning. Mm-hmm.